0: This week on the show, we have senior staff writer and video producer for Digital Foundry and Eurogamer, John Linneman. And if you're enjoying the show and want to help support it, make sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash kojimafreak. Hey, I'm Fingers.
1: Yo, it's Apache Smash.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Days Ahead.
1: And I'm
2: Nitroid. Listening to the Kojima frequency. I have to say, your your uh, the MGS two trailer that you guys remastered and, and uploaded, oh, yeah, I yeah. used about a billion times <laughs> oh, whenever perfect. I
3: need something. That was that was the idea. I was like trying to make it look decent for everyone again. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So you got that footage off of one of the actual like Japanese
3: DVDs. Yeah, I, I actually I, I own the DVD, so the uh the trailer disc.
2: Now was that the one I know they, they put the trailer out on VHS and I think they had a DVD release, but they also shoved it in the DVD that was in the premium package. Is that the one you've got or was it the nope, standalone?
3: Nope. Mine was the standalone one nice. released before the game. Came That's out. a hard one to find. So yeah, yeah, it's that original one. So with the zone of the enders stuff on it as well and the whole road to E3 stuff all on there
2: it's still hilarious to me how many people bought zone of the enders just for that demo
3: (laughs) i know but Zone of the enders was good it was it was but yeah like you're right i that was a huge deal at the time was just the demo i was just thinking about this the other day with the whole demo thing like man this little slice of gameplay is so perfect i'd like to see more games like that
2: yeah that i mean When I think of that game, and I mean, that's my favorite game of all time. uh, Still, the first thing that comes to mind is the lounge uh, with, you know, the the bottles up on the shelf and everybody talks about the cup of ice. And just that little room is such a fun playground to see all the things that they were doing with the system.
3: Yeah, there's so much granularity there. And it just really showcases like the headspace of that time period where it was like trying to solve interactivity and add all kinds of like just things into the environment i mean it kind of carries over into the same mentality you saw with shenmue right yeah it was like oh here's a house and you can go inside every drawer there's no point to it but that was the mindset of the year 2000
2: yeah. And, and that made everything feel a lot more real. I mean, now, yeah, we've got these huge sprawling environments and you can go and do whatever you want. But when you stop and try to smell the roses, it's there's there's not as much there. Exactly. Exactly.
4: So, I mean, you said that you've been doing this for 10 years and it's it. I mean, it, it really shows in a sense that. You know, I'm thinking about in particular, like your videos for Digital Foundry, sort of comparing different consoles, the way you have sort of that split screen there. It seems like it it takes so much work and effort, not just to, you know, gather all of this research and information, but seeing, you know, those different, like you said, granularities, things that are on par there. Um, You know, I mean, not to ask you to like, you know, (laughs) display the crusty crab recipe or the secret sauce, but what goes into that work?
3: Oh yeah, no, I don't mind at all. Um so yeah, that's just comparing things against other things is, you know, that's a big part of it. Not the only thing we do, of course, but that's a big part of it, right? And you know, obviously that just requires a lot of meticulous um capture where you try to create shots on one version that can be easily duplicated on another. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like especially if you have a bunch of versions to compare, which the every console you add to the mix, it gets more complex and just more annoying, if you will.
4: <laughs> That's another thing, and I know we're gonna keep using this word granularity now. Um, I love it. Uh, I love gradients personally, like word art gradients. So this is this oh, works for yeah. me. Um, but uh, you know, going back to granularity, like you know, you've been doing this for ten years, and you know, first it just it seems like the differences were like, okay, which console, and then. You know which region, which you know that's that's kind of a neat matrix, right? And yeah. then you know we go into this age, and it's like you have this version of your Xbox, you have a Series X, you have a Series S, you know you have you know with these like enhanced editions with you know like you know you you modify your console with like a, a better hard drive. Um, so I'm oh, probably yeah. not using the right terms, but like how do you <laughs> how do you like how has your work adjusted? against sort of that that evolution of technology and and how I can't fucking hate that I'm using the so, word but. no it's
3: fine I I I, I kind of so the way I would look at it is when we first started doing this 10 years ago it was literally just let's compare console A against console B right that was like the whole thing and our content at the time was mostly just articles that we posted over on Eurogamer we're not part of Eurogamer but we have a deal there. So we post stuff there. Um, and then we would upload video clips that were just like the raw footage comparing a to B with mm-hmm. just a little music underneath or something like that. And then, you know, uh, I think it was before the PS4 and Xbox one launched, we started to do an occasional voiced over video, um, on just a couple things. And, you know, we did that, occasionally off and on, but it wasn't the main thing, but then I guess it would have been in the summer of summer of 2015. I think was when we really kicked it off and started doing more of that mainly because like I was doing that in my spare time because I was getting bored of just doing articles where it was (laughs) literally just like, we were just generating data basically. Right. And I thought that was kind of getting boring (laughs) to be honest. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of evolved as the technology did, right? Because as the newer consoles came out and with each new revision and uh, the differences become less and less important, I think, because every version is good where, to some degree, whereas back on like PlayStation 3 versus Xbox 360, the PS3 got a lot of bad ports at the time, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, and they Uh... they were often real bad. And like, that was almost like, Just, oh, this is consumer advice more than anything else. Uh, But now it's like, well, the stories have changed. That isn't that interesting anymore, which is why I don't do that many normal, modern platform comparisons anymore because it's just not as exciting and people just fight about it online. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm not really interested in doing that. That's, you know, thankfully Tom and Oliver champs and they love to do that. So that's what they do. It's
2: kind of ridiculous that people still fight about consoles online like that. Yeah. It's like, especially when
3: they're all, they're all good. I (laughs) mean, maybe this, maybe the switch versions of games, yeah, sometimes those, those are not so good, but I was watching the uh,
0: <laughs> the Goldeneye video, and yeah, it was like on, on some of the things that they're doing on the Switch versus you know, just you were showing like how like down sampling can just you know be like a, a better
3: solution to all of it. Like, yeah, that Nintendo's emulator for N64 kind of sucks. A bit. <laughs> so, it's funny you it's brought right.
2: up the um, the PS3 360 thing. I had a friend who used to work at EA, and is it Tiburon? Is that how you say it?
3: It's the yeah. studio
2: in Florida where they worked on the. think the tiger woods games and he told me once that um what they would do because the ps3 architecture was so unruly and difficult to work with is they would almost never develop anything natively for the ps3 they would always develop it for the 360 and then port it because it was an easier process
3: so that may have been true at first but from what i understand a lot of developers actually shifted to do the opposite over time really uh, because if you got a game running well on PS3 first, uh, it was a lot easier to bring into 360 and have it be performant. Whereas if you started on 360 and tried to architect, you know, architect it there, and then you have to try to figure out how to make it work on the cell, uh, then you were in for a bad time because the 360 had a better GPU in it basically. Right. And you had to do things a little differently on the PS3.
2: Yeah, memory Uh, management was a bear from what I understand. Obviously, it's a little above my pay grade to get into the minutia of how the the cell architecture worked. But
3: this is why um, Burnout Paradise was so good on both platforms because Criterion actually did they designed the game for PS3 and then made a good 360 version alongside it. Yeah, that game was smooth as butter. So as a result, they ended up with two great versions and that was like the beginning of that kind of mentality of like oh we should be targeting ps3 first meanwhile uh, get the hard one out of the way
2: <laughs> meanwhile over in metal gear solid 4 you got frame drops yeah. down to like what 17 fps during the beginning segment
3: oh, it can drop really low man metal gear solid 4 is such a weird one it is i actually think that metal gear solid Four's tech the engine behind it just seems like a big old mess like they really struggled with that because you go look at the Phantom Pain, uh, which has a PS3 release, and that looks and runs significantly better than Metal Gear Solid 4, right? Oh, it's,
2: it's crazy such, how good that runs on a PS3. way
3: better. Like, I'd rather play it on the newer machines, of course, but it's really good on PS3 versus yeah. what you get with MGS4, which... Everything's divided up into these tiny maps. It all kind of ru- it runs with an uncapped frame rate that's like all over the place. It just has so many technical problems. It's really kind of unreal. It's clear that they just couldn't quite come to grips with it to, to do what they were trying to achieve there. So
2: there, there have been a lot of stories about what happened there, and it's hard to tell what's true. But but one of them that seems to be true is that they developed that initial tech demo for the for MGS 4 that that video. Um, That if you go back and look at it now, it looks so wildly different from what came out.
3: Yeah, that was running on a PC. Yeah. PC hardware. And but they but they built it
2: uh, with the technical specs of the PS3 in mind that they were given at the time.
3: Yeah, a lot of developers did that.
2: Yeah. And then what happens is that, you know, the final specs come out, the hardware (laughs) is released and it's it's not what they had promised. And they're like, oh, no, now we have to downscale. And like Kojima had all these original thoughts of like, we're going to have like four different factions all fighting at once. And now it's like two, but you can only side with one. And yeah, it's 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 funny to look at it from that perspective um, and then look at, like you said, with the Phantom Pain on PS3, because uh, again, I, I don't know too much about the detail here but from people i've talked to who have really pulled that game apart there are uh remnants of mgs4 code still in there and it looks like what they did was like they they used mgs4's engine as sort of a a starting point for developing fox engine which i mean makes sense they've sort of already done that
3: um i my memory might be playing tricks on me but i seem to recall that one of the lead architects of the anvo engine powering assassin's creed went to work for kojima productions during this period that and i would hope,
2: believe it because they had they they had sort I of a I think
3: i think that's the case
2: yeah that that would actually make sense remember do you remember they had that that um sort of collaborative project going on i don't know if you would call it a project but like assassin's Ooh, creed and mgs4 were doing right. that thing where they were working back i and remember
3: forth. yeah 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 you're right have you ever
2: looked at metal gear arcade
3: um no I okay
2: um so, M- Metal Gear Arcade runs on MGS4's engine, but it's a Windows uh, yeah, branch. Yeah,
3: win- exactly. Yeah, I have, and man, I've not actually test tried that myself.
2: It's a, it's a little unruly because of the fact that it's you know it's an arcade game meant to be used with a gun, and so it's sort of been hotwired to work with a mouse. Um, sure, yeah, yeah, and it's entirely in Japanese, but. Uh, okay. It runs extremely well. Now, like, they don't have any of the PS3, you know, shader going on. So, like, the game is very stripped down graphically. But, I mean, it's, like, smooth as butter.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, we... That, that reminds me, there's stuff like Quake and Half-Life 2 had arcade versions. So, that was <laughs> kind of the the weird thing to do, is bring some of these games over.
2: It was kind of but creative, yeah. though. It's like, it's you're doing these little missions in the arcade mode, and then you've got, like... um like versus modes it's like it's like a stripped down version of metal gear online too oh cool yeah it's using a lot of the same uh environments and and modes and things and then it's uh it had a network connection to it where you could you know play with other people in other arcades uh in japan and yeah you know, that you was could, really common yeah yeah and you could link four of them together and then you could save your account so it would track your progress and and all these things and then it's got the the 3d goggles of course but um um, I know I'm kind of hopping all over the place, but uh, I'm sure you're aware they brought a uh, you know a group of fans brought Metal Gear Online 2 back. Uh, and got the you know yeah, custom yeah, servers yeah. running. They've been porting over content from Metal Gear Arcade because it had a couple of additional maps that you know they had toyed with bringing to the game. Oh, but nice! Ultimately, didn't. So like Outer Haven is a map now that you can play in MGO2. Um, a couple of the early um Middle East sections they've added like the Vista Mansion and and a couple other places. So I mean, they've, they've I think they've added now five new maps to MGO two. They've they brought wow, back the yeah. uh, the currency and the and like the gear shop. It's it's kind of wild to see what they've done with it.
3: And yeah, that's what a crazy thing. And no Met.
4: sports caps.
2: Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, they were they were putting custom gear and like they were replacing logos on on hats with like the Mets logo, <laughs> like things like that.
3: Yeah, that's uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> kind of makes the 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 preservationist in me start to twitch.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. Wow, yeah, this is this was such a weird era for Metal Gear in general. I feel uh, this is a
2: weird era for Metal Gear. <laughs>
3: it's it's one of the strangest, and probably the one I least like. I guess you know, looking back across everything, it's, I still enjoy it, but boy, this yeah. is a flawed period.
2: Four was a four was interesting. I've 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 talked about it a bit. Yeah
3: what what's the general reading on four on the table here? What do you guys <laughs> think? Thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down, thumbs middle. <laughs>
2: oh boy,
4: <laughs> sideways. How long? How
3: long you got? Uh, <laughs> I had a good time and I
1: like how the story ended. There you go. Fair enough. I can't think of any so any 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 moment in my life where I was more disappointed. <laughs> wow, that's. <laughs> I'm wow. a I'm a I'm
2: I'm an enormous fan of Metal Gear Solid Two for just yeah, about every reason conceivable. And so I kind of loathe
3: MGS 4 Yeah, it's yeah. it's superfluous <laughs> in every way.
2: Yeah, but I mean, that was kind of the point when you yeah. think about it. So I can't completely hate it.
3: The thing about it is the story is nonsense at this point. Like they, they they go crazy. But the problem for me is just there's not enough of the good gameplay. Yeah, because the second chapter is pretty much like Metal Gear Solid 3 gameplay. In a lot of ways, yeah. And right? the first one a little bit, uh, and then that just kind of goes away for the rest of the game.
2: It's and it's weird if you look sucks. at it. The chapters are. It's like the chapters are trying to do highlight reels of all of the previous games.
3: Well, I mean, also I do know that different people were directing the chapters yeah. separately. So, mm-hmm. and you could really tell. Like, I think the Metal Gear Acid guy, whose name escapes me, Nujiri, the third yeah. chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no No gd did the uh third chapter right yep which was uh cool conceptually to some degree but it just didn't work (laughs) it's
2: cool one time
3: yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely the worst part so i i think the biggest thing for me was always the return to shadow moses where like they had so much potential to do something really great there uh and it just they didn't do it yeah there needed to be like actual guards and proper stealth and like really make that a long drawn out kind of segment where you're going through all these areas that you remember and playing with expectations and there's just so much potential there and they just kind of threw it all away i feel it's
2: um it's kind of a you can never go home again sort of moment you know yeah and have you have you seen some of the content that got cut from mgs4
3: uh, bits and pieces. Because yeah, it, Act it's been Three a while and Act Four.
2: Yeah, Act Three and Four had had sort of the most uh, revision in that regard. Act Three was going to have this entire additional segment where you're escorting Big Mama through the sewer uh, and going up and down through manhole covers onto the streets to get to to where the boat is. That's why there's that immediate cut there. There was like right, supposed to be yeah. a whole big sprawling section there.
3: Which that sounds. Somewhat cool conceptually, but then you remember it's the sewers and, and it's like, an
2: escort mission. Yeah, it's just
0: the end with yeah. the, uh, Eva from <laughs> Snake Eater. It's like, oh yeah, that part, shit.
3: Right. I mean, like, what is worse than an escort mission in the sewers? I mean, I guess escort mission in a warehouse is close, but yeah. it's that same kind of thing where it's just like you just put the worst things together.
0: <laughs> and the person's injured, you're like, oh, come on.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. like the most plotting part of MGS3 is that escort. Section
1: at the end. Whoa, I'll, I'll, whoa, hold
2: on. I'm sorry, man. It's, you're gonna, if you're gonna talk negatively about the, about the, uh, the, the pressure sensitive buttons on the PS2, I'm gonna talk crap about the escort mission in MPS3.
1: One, it's two rooms (laughs) compared to eight rooms with Emma. Oh, yeah, that sucks too. Oh, yeah, I don't like that either. And two, she's got a gun, mate. When you get caught, she just starts (laughs) nailing guards down. Like, you know, at least she does something useful. This presumes I like the escort mission in two. The escort in in three is significantly shorter, and it's much better.
2: <laughs> yeah, I... Apache is our is our resident MGS three speedrunner, and he knows this game front to back like you would not believe.
3: Oh, that's amazing! Gosh, like what what a perfect game for speedrunning, right? Like, there's just so much.
2: He can beat the bosses blindfolded. I kid you not. Incredible. I believe it.
4: I thought you had lost your passion for MGS three after like your vacation, but then seeing your to response to nitroid, like it's like the fire's back.
1: <laughs> It'll never go. I'm just I'm just taking a break, but um, yeah, like it's it's two rooms. You you with Eva for two rooms. Like it's it's so short. All right, all right. And I'm not just saying like if you if you speed run it or whatever, like. It it's a really short part of the game and like everyone has <laughs> this memory that it's like this awful slugging <laughs> escort section like maybe maybe the very first time you do it because it's a little bit like you're not sure where to go or whatever but like you know it's 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 two i gotta rooms. do this more well, yeah the first the first room you've run away from guards that are coming <laughs> towards you and then the second room there is on the hardest difficulty there is Three. Hold on, let me count it. Oh my There's god, like he knows ten, how many ten, guards there. <laughs> ten guards total. Like it, it is it, so short. Like I, I feel like the the. I Emma concede. I concede. Escu- is like.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. Real quick, before I forget. <laughs> oh my god. The um. The other part that you would probably uh find interesting, is uh in in Act Four in Shadow Moses they cut. I wanna say it was was it two sections they cut? Yeah, the the two that come to mind. They cut um you were originally gonna be able to get to the heliport, I think, uh, in in two different ways. Uh the hmm. other way was you would cross a frozen lake. And you had to be careful walking across the ice because you could fall under it and die. And uh that doesn't,
3: that doesn't sound great.
2: Yeah, I mean maybe they were right to cut some of these, but this one is the one that makes me mad. They um you were gonna be able to visit um the the B one basement in the Nuclear Warhead storage building where Psycho Manus' room was. Oh man. And if I remember right, somebody recently was able to extract the collision data from that. So I mean there's a lot of content left over in the the game's code that you can sort of peek at. They've got codec conversations and um, you know, I mean they they'd recorded a lot of this. Uh, in English, which is kind of shocking. They're like one of the conversations that that's I've heard people say you can get this in the game, but I've never seen it is. um, You get a call from Otacon saying that that Dr. Madnar apologized for what he did in Metal Gear 2 and that his daughter Ellen was doing fine. Oh, uh. and like like that's one of those weird things in four where they mentioned Dr. Madnar and you're like, wait a minute. What didn't he die?
4: Didn't they say that he was living in like. Close to the neighborhood from Act Three, or Mac yeah,
2: that's that's why they were there. And like, it, like Ryden's like Eastern Europe, and like everyone immediately knows he means Prague. <laughs> like Eastern Europe's big, dude.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I could I could talk about MGS4, good and bad, for a very long time. That that game has such a an interesting development history. I wish uh, I wish we'd gotten the document of Metal Gear Solid Four, like they had. Uh, initially, oh man, thought of doing. Yeah, I love that stuff.
1: I wish they'd done a substance of it, like you know, substance existence. Right?
2: Yeah, there were rumblings that they were going to for a while, but like they, there was even um, there was this weird copyright filing or trademark filing for Metal Gear Solid existence at one point around that time period, and everyone was wondering, oh, is that going to be the double dip? But it, you know, nothing ever came out came out of it, and it wasn't the 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 subsistence disc thing. Look, it was long after that, so I don't know. But yeah. I guess if you think about it, MGO was waiting was...
3: for that uh, 360 version, right? Right. <laughs> they, we
2: we had Ryan Peyton on, and we talked to him about that. And they had actually done tests running MGS4 on a 360.
3: I'm, um, I of course, I'm not surprised at all. Pe- people
1: can make fun of that 360 version all they want, but like if if, if it had happened, we would have it running on the Series S now like we we would
2: yep you're right possibly
1: Some, dude yeah. something
4: about you saying that just made my heart drop thanks for doing that
2: i just love that meme of like the 40 cd's
3: you know that is funny it it, it wouldn't have taken that much obviously but oh, no. it definitely i mean there would have had to have been cuts for sure it, but in it terms wasn't, of the amount of content
2: they talked about how like you know this is the first ps3 game that needs a double layered blu-ray and it used like 26 gigs yeah. Most of that disc is blank.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means what? So, that Guinness World Records fake. Guinness records are bought and paid for as you yeah, well know. Are okay? Nice.
4: Are you telling me that the record <laughs> for the most games, oh, most no. worked Here on games Uh-oh. is a farce? Ooh. I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop. One day I'm going to not mention Tommy Tallarico in these shows, but today's not that day. Next episode's not going to be that either.
3: I was looking into Earthworm Jim. This yeah, I saw that tweet. I, saw, I saw that! I like, it just occurred to me, because I do like that game, despite its flaws. And uh, I was just playing that the like, other I was day, like, too. Tommy's always talking about how he's the composer of Earthworm Jim, and it's like, wait a minute, it was actually a dude named Mark. It wasn't Tommy at all. <laughs> like, he Holy did, crap. His company did some arrangements of the original tracks, and then he, I think he did actually work on two, but oh my gosh. didn't do one soundtrack, did not write the music.
2: I want to ask you a little bit. I haven't had a chance to to watch your, your Dead Space video, but I haven't or I have uh, seen your comments online about it. And and, uh, you know, I, tr- I try to stay up to date on on different technologies and, and some of it just goes over my head. And, and can you explain a little bit what the VRS issue is with Dead Space?
3: Oh, sure. Well, the issue is now a thing of the past. Thankfully,
2: I but- saw that. And and I got to be honest, I, I feel terrible. I didn't, I've been playing it like with my nose five inches from the screen. And I, I haven't noticed
3: anything. It was patched on PS five, like three or four days after launch.
2: Oh, that might be why I didn't notice it.
3: Xbox was a little bit later, but they've been patched. They removed it. So variable rate shading is just a method for improving your shading rate by not over basically, it's like reducing the amount of shading work done by the GPU based on various pr- criteria in terms of what's being rendered. So, like a dark, difficult to see area could be rendered, you know, using a yeah. basically look le- lesser shading to improve performance. To put it simply, uh, the problem here is that the way they configured it, it's just it just created a very noisy, ugly image, it didn't seem to be working right, almost like it was directly being written to like one of the main g buffer layers or something i don't know it's weird the way it looked
0: yeah I so saw it made it look like really fuzzy and just yeah it took out all the sharpness yeah yeah
2: yeah i could tell from your from your pictures yeah
3: so a, a really simple way to think about it is like something that's bright you'll have a pixel that's like a single pixel and then in a dark area you might have like like a two by two grid where like one pixel becomes to basically two pixels in each direction and you're it's like think it's like a grid that expands and contracts based on the, what's being rendered so like things that you wouldn't normally be able to see clearly can be rendered using a lower resolution chunkier looking grid basically oh, that's wild so it's kind of like dynamic all over the screen but it just didn't work very well in this case and so it
2: ended up looking all all chunky
3: yeah basically so
2: I've been um, I've been playing it on PS5 and I've just left it in uh, not not performance mode because I kind of prefer the the slight improvements. Uh, yeah,
3: sure. No, it looks really good that way.
2: And the 60 FPS. I don't know what it is, but but I know this is going to get somebody talking. Um, but playing it uh, with the higher frame rate just seems it looks weird to me.
3: Man, is it? As a Metal Gear Solid 2 fan... I know, I know, right? So you right? say, I'm I'm shocked to hear this.
2: It, mgs <laughs> I, I think maybe it's just... I don't know, I think style does play into it a little bit. You know, yeah. if something is hyper-realistic, high frame rates kind of make it look less realistic to me, whereas if something is stylized, the higher frame rates sort of play into it. Like, MGS2 sort of has like a timeless look to it because of how they designed everything it's like it's yeah obviously they were shooting for for making something somewhat realistic at the time but it's got you know it's hard to explain you know there's there's i think i kind of know
0: like i was just watching that uh phil Tippett documentary yeah uh, they were talking about how you know they would if they shot the puppets in like real time it was like this doesn't look right so they would shoot it you know in the the high frames and then and then slow that footage down and then like that gave it that like extra look of like creepiness kind of
2: there's a subtle interpretive quality to it that even in something like death stranding it has you know like you look at you look at some of the the more advanced games that are like super hyper realistic you look at like like naughty dog stuff right yeah and there are still a lot of moments where either due to the animations or the lighting it just something dips into the uncanny valley but but with death stranding it rarely does that and i don't know why
3: mm. that, that's, maybe it's a personal say. taste thing i don't know i think it's a personal taste thing <laughs>
2: i mean there are so. moments like it's whenever they make really extreme you know emotive expressions those are sort of the weird moments visually for me but uh you know it kind of there's there's something about the way that that they make games and they and they style things even when they're going for realism that You know, there's there's a there's a surrealism to it that just allows them to get away with more visually. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling.
3: Uh, It could be something like that.
4: Like it's I'm hearing this discussion and it's interesting because I'm thinking of it in the context of um, a hi-fi rush. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because that's also very stylized. But if I remember correctly, it's the FPS is also sort of like
2: weird. They're doing like a Uh, like a. Into like the a, Spider-verse
4: into the Spider Verse,
3: yeah. yeah, it reminds you into the Spider Verse. Yeah, I mean, that, I like that that idea, and that that's also been uh, used in the Guilty Gear games for a while since Exerd. And the whole idea is that so normally when you make a 3D character and you rig them up and animate them, like the 3D engine will interpolate between frames automatically. Even though that wasn't always the case, like Quake One, the original did not have interpolation at all, uh, but essentially what they're doing is like setting a bunch of keyframes i think where it's like defining like almost like you would if you were doing 2d animation right and then they're, they're only showing those that. yeah so they only show those keyframes with the model instead of interpolating between them so there's no smoothing between frame 1 and frame 2 but they're smart because they don't use that during the 3d gameplay uh because that actually it, it's good in guilty gear cuz it's like a 2d fighter but the game Sable did that, and it ends up feeling awful, I think. When you have that kind of animation style during the gameplay in 3D, it doesn't feel right.
2: Yeah. But, Guilty Gear, I mean, that's the closest I've seen anybody get to sort of trying to make a, a playable anime, which I know is, is sort of where everyone's in that in genre is trying to steer towards.
3: I, I've been saying that for years. Like, I don't understand how somebody hasn't attempted to make an RPG in that style right I, namco with tails or something like that feels like that's perfect for them to like yeah. take that approach i think it would be tough though because if you actually look at those individual frames they're often done in this like weird way where it's kind of stretched and if you if you look at it from any other angle than the very specific angle you're seeing it yeah. from, then it then it breaks Right? Like in because Dragon
2: Ball it, Fighters, like I've seen a lot of people like moving the camera to show how weird it can get. Or like Yeah, Goku's exactly. Arm will be like four feet long.
3: So that's the that's the trick, right? They actually uh, it relies on fixed camera angles, but you could still do that in an RPG. I think it would just have to it would have to be very carefully done. But I think it could be done.
2: Tails would be a great application of that. My wife just finished a rise and wow. And yeah, platinum did. I don't know how she did it. But, um. She's she's more hardcore than I am with this stuff. But um, it I mean, it's a gorgeous game, but like it's when whenever, you know, anime is sort of translated to that fully 3D style, there's always something kind of wrong about it, you know?
3: Yeah, 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 I know. Exactly. Metal Gear hasn't gone that way, though, thankfully.
2: You know, I think it could. <laughs> I think I, I mean, absolutely. acid
3: two was kind acid of interesting. two kind of gets close, I would say. And gosh, what about that, the, the, um, I'm forgetting the name, the 3d vision thing where you mount onto your PSP. Oh, the, 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 the,
2: the solid eye, the Tobit solid
3: yeah. eye. Yeah. The Tobit S and solid. Eye.
2: Did, have you, okay. Um, <sighs> the one we got in the U S you should look this up. I'm, I'm sure the prices are going to skyrocket after I talk about this. So, you know, everybody listening, please don't buy one until I find one. Um, yeah. but the, the, Metal Gear Acid 2, the one we got in the U.S., you know how it comes with that little cheap cardboard 3D glasses thing, right? The one that they got in Japan was actually, like, in a separate sleeve that came shrink-wrapped with the game.
3: Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And
2: it's so much higher quality than what we got.
3: Yeah, that was was pretty cool, actually. Huh, we... That came out when I was living in Tokyo at the time I remember and I actually have the 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 official soundtrack for Acid 2 as well which that comes on two music. very bizarre colored cases like one is like pink and one yellow, yellow yeah. and then, those yeah, are the exactly. sort
2: of like theme colors for the
3: games those that Exactly. Music, those
2: albums are like B-sides for MGS2 it's
3: so good. Right? It really is. I love it. Awesome stuff.
2: Before I before I kind of move on I know I'm talking my you know i'm just i'm just rambling today but i'll shoot you a link to this later if you're curious but mgs1 score there was uh sort of like the cutscene score and the gameplay score right uh yeah of course recently uh some fans got a hold of the studio it was it was an overseas studio the music for the cutscenes was not done in-house at at, at kcej
3: um, right, we knew that that was the Gregson Williams related stuff, right?
2: Well, no, this was MGS one before Gregson. Oh, Williams you're talking MGS
3: one? Yeah, MGS. Oh, I yeah. think we're still talking two here.
2: No, sorry, I kind of I kind of hopped. Uh, MGS one, you know, had had sort of a similar thing where they had sort of like the, the cutscene music and then the gameplay music and then the soundtrack only had the gameplay music.
3: Um, yeah, if I so the sa- all the gameplay music for sure is is done using the, I think the PS one sound chip.
2: Yeah but Is the, any cut any of the cutscene music,
3: music pre-recorded
2: yeah and okay. they got in touch with the with the guy who it was outsourced to uh about i want to say a year or two ago and got a hold of that entire for, for the most i think it's like 90 percent of the music from the cutscenes now you can get because he just put it out as an album that you can download
3: interesting
2: yeah um I'll, I'll shoot you a link to that too but it's like i i don't know how konami hasn't like struck this down but you can just go on Apple Music and look it up. That is and, that's wild. And it's all the cutscene music.
3: Actually, while we're talking Metal Gear Solid 1, I am curious to hear what's your take on Twin Snakes?
2: <laughs> um
3: <laughs> if we can open that can of worms.
2: Creative idea. Um but man, you know they had to make that in like the span of a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think it's a good tell. argument for why remakes aren't always the best idea. But, like, I don't have a problem with the cutscenes. Honestly, I think the cutscenes are the redeeming factor because they're a lot of fun. You yeah, know? they're and, totally
3: fun. I love them.
2: And it's, it's so funny, too, because the the director, Ryuhei Kitamura, was originally just directing the cutscenes sort of one-to-one with the originals, and Kojima had to come in and say, no, 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 I want you to go kind of wild with them.
0: I hired you for a reason.
2: Yeah, it was yeah. so Kojima's the reason they're like that, not Kitamura, which is really right. funny. With Twin Snakes, you can really tell that those environments were not designed with MGS2's engine in mind because it it's such a weirdly balanced experience that goes from, you know, just you know, just laughably easy one minute to absurdly hard the next, depending on the situation.
3: It also doesn't feel very good on the GameCube controller, if I'm oh, honest. Oh, God, yeah. Because the they had to are... sort
2: of like make up for the fact that they were missing some buttons Shoulder and they didn't buttons, have the pressure.
1: Yeah. And,
3: yeah. And they use that awful Z button. Good
1: well, I will say this. Like, it put Metal Gear Solid into Nintendo households during, like, an insanely good era of, of games. So, like, the games oh, yeah. that were coming out in the GameCube were... So, the GameCube has... a a small amount of titles which are like some of the best games ever made yeah and it's got a bunch of good titles as well so like if you were really into games you would want to have a gamecube and there was a lot of people who sort of stuck with nintendo for their consoles who would then get their hands on a metal gear title and a lot of people were introduced to the series through it so i think it's really cool and also the menus in twin snakes are more responsive than metal gear Solid 2. Every time you open a menu in Metal Gear Solid 2, there's a small amount of delay that isn't present on Twin Snakes. So that's pretty cool, too.
3: Yeah, but Twin Snakes kind of runs terribly. <laughs> that always it's... that drove me nuts because, like, Metal Gear Solid 2 is a 60 frames per second game, and Twin Snakes wants to be that, but uh, it drops frames, like, all the time. It's just, it does not run well.
2: Yeah, it's kind of better to play it emulated. I, n- I never really noticed the the frame
3: drops and like Dude, I, I, there's I, there's frame drops the whole they, game. There every screen. Drops. I think of particular, the,
4: the example I think I think of in particular is the the first tank fight. That
1: Yeah, whenever the explosions but, go off. But Metal Gear Solid 2's got like horrendous if you if, if want to. No, go it's not
3: Metal Gear Solid 2 has parts where everything runs slow briefly because it's Choking on the engine, but what twin snakes does is it skips frames so it ends up looking like thirty frames per second most of the time like even from the very first room like you're in instantly getting these lurches between thirty and sixty and it just does that the whole game and every large scene is like that where it just drops to thirty and then occasionally it jumps up to sixty when you're around the edges or outside and anytime combat is triggered always it just immediately drops to thirty. Handles Sometimes it better than worse. the original
2: Xbox, though. That port of substance was
3: rough. Oh, that was bad. I think the reason you notice it in MGS2 is because it continues to draw every frame. So when it does slow down, the game speed is affected and it actually runs slow. Whereas on Twin Snakes, it doesn't run slow. It just looks choppier.
1: Mm. Right, I, I was about to say as well. I think like all of my hours on Twin Snakes have been mostly on the emulated version as
3: well. Oh,
2: oh, it emulates like a dream if you can get it tweaked right.
3: Yeah, because it has no frame rate cap. It you know emulators basically fix the problem, right? It's just on real GameCube hardware, it runs really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you know, like my memories of playing it on the GameCube are like dec- decade old or something at this point. So. I just I just didn't remember it like that. No, but yeah, I,
2: you're, yeah you're, you're, I understand that. I will say this. I mean, look, I'm I'm a little biased, I'll admit. But um, I kind of think most Metal Gear games, even the bad ones, are better than most other games in general. So even with Twin Snakes, which is, you know, I could complain about it for hours. I had a good time with it. Uh, yeah, see,
3: that's that's my take is like, I actually love these types of remakes even when i think it's worse than the original i don't care in the sense that the original doesn't go away right you don't lose access to it i think we're 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 better off having two interesting versions of that game as opposed to just the original
2: yeah i i would agree more if the older games were more accessible and i don't just mean in terms of, i don't just mean metal gear i mean in general because you're right that they don't go away but you know if they're not being re-released um, you know, they sort of vanish from the conversation in a sense. But that's
3: not a problem for Metal Gear, though. I mean, if any Not really Metal shit, Gear. Right now the the, t- <laughs> the Twin Snakes is the rare and expensive one. Yeah. That's Re- the one that's um, way harder to get compared to... Can't buy two or three right now.
2: I think a, a better example of this would be Resident Evil 2.
3: Yeah, see, that that's a... But even there, you can still, I think, get that on, like ps so man this, this is tough for me to talk about because i have every console here right and i have all these <laughs> games on discs like for me all of this stuff is as accessible as anything that's new so it's it's not something that yeah. really pops into my head like if it was made that's fine it's only really inaccessible if a game was like extremely rare and expensive and just i missed out on it for whatever reason at the time but you're right for the greater audience that that does become a problem it- But Yeah, you know, I'm trying to find it. There was um, you can you can still buy like again. PS3 is old now. It is, but like PS3s are readily available, and for now at least the store is still there. You can still get all these PS1 games.
2: There was somebody that I I had a brief exchange with online uh, because I was talking about like remasters and and just like I
3: generally don't
2: like remakes, but you know there are some some good examples of them. Um, but somebody. I Ted space is um, man. There's a lot I like about that. There's just stuff I don't, but, but yeah, that's one of the rare ones that I've actually been impressed with. Uh, I really want to talk about that, but um, somebody was talking to sort of pointed out something that I think, you know, I, at least I took for granted, which is that, you know, these are sort of first world problems for a lot of gamers, you know, like we've got (laughs) access to these consoles and, and games and the newer hardware and, you know, we, this is a conversation that is easier to have when you've got that kind of access. And then, you know, I was talking to these guys just briefly, and they're like, you know, we don't have these new gaming systems. We don't have PCs that we can even emulate on. You know, we don't have access to this. You know, you live in South America. Video games are a luxury. So what do you do? You know? Um, yeah, that's right. And, and Fire. you know, they're exactly right. And like I, I have, you know, just in arm's reach just about every single metal gear game you can think of uh, sitting on my shelf. I've got, you know, I know how to use emulators. I've got old consoles and boxes of games that I've got access to. I don't really think about it. I've just got it. And I complain about stuff that annoys me, but for most people, they get what they get. And that's pretty difficult.
3: So, and that's the thing though, is like when we talk about how accessible a game is at that point, it's like, it's up to them. Right. Like uh, this stuff can be purchased and usually not for like that much of a premium or anything. It's just, they have to decide if they want to go through that trouble or not. And if they don't like, you know, I don't think there's much room to complain at that point.
2: It would be nice if more companies did things like including the original game with the remake, you know, like, uh, like I think medieval did that.
3: Medieval did did. do that. It was awesome.
2: If RE2 did that where, you know, Hey, here's the remake, but also, it comes with the original so that you can play it and see the differences. Like if, if that was done more often, I would immediately shut up.
3: I'm actually s- shocked that they haven't went for the whole, like, you know, buy the regular remake, or if you get the premium edition for like 20 bucks more, right. The original game. Like, oh my God. I would buy every, every one of those. Like, it's just shocking to me that they haven't taken that approach. Cause it's just like low hanging fruit there.
2: On on sort of a, a, a more nitpicky note when it comes to remakes, though, and just just kind of touching on Twin Snakes before we move on, uh, it I, I know that a remake is supposed to sort of reinterpret it and go a different direction in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um and, and there's always sort of that weird line riding between we want to do something new, but we also want to, you know, make sure we tick all the right boxes so that people get what they expect. Um with with twin snakes, man, the way the environments are designed in that game, they're just so gross and muddy and uninteresting in comparison to the original. Like, I really want to do a visual study of those so, two games at some point. I keep that saying That what this. I was
4: going to bring up. Is that yeah. it's it's a situation of art from adversity where you know Metal Gear sort of had had a limited palette, right? So not yeah. not necessarily like a literal palette, but it had technological limitations. And so, what like for instance, one wait, of the wait, things wait.
3: are. Do- I was gonna say it does literally have a palette though. Yeah, it does. Like like PlayStation One games used lookup tables for all of its textures, which is basically like a palette. Mm
0: -hmm. So like
3: all the textures are like just monochrome. But the colors between those two games,
2: man.
4: I I I think in particular about the way that when you look up at any place in Shadow Moses, it just kind of slowly fades to black.
3: Oh yeah. I I don't know
4: if that particular Element is a result of that limited palette, but I—that's the little—that's the type of little shit I love about Metal Gear that just doesn't get uh, conveyed in Twin Snakes.
3: No, you're right. Like that—that that actually is not palette related, but that is—that's uh, just a cool design choice because fundamentally, it's like, well, they don't want to draw more triangles than they need to because it's on the PlayStation, so they found a way to sort of like cap off areas that actually ended up looking pretty darn cool, right? Right. Like that's there's a noir esque
2: quality to it.
3: Yeah, exactly. It does give it this weird, like, sort of like isolated void feeling. Right. I don't know, it, it it changes the atmosphere a lot.
2: The colors too that they use. If you if you look at just any given, like, you can look at just about any single area in MGS One and compare it to its Twin Snakes counterpart, and you're going to notice how much more color there is in the original than there is in Twin Snakes. You know, the Twin Snakes is very, um very cold i mean it's you can tell what they were trying to go for because shadow moses is a cold environment it's supposed to be sort of this industrial thing and
3: i think they were going after the metal gear solid 2 style yeah um which i actually love like i think that's cool it's just even
2: actually, two is more colorful though
3: <laughs> no two is more colorful i'm curious though like how much do you i haven't investigated this closely yet i i really want to but like silicon knights handled the development on this yeah but like it use does it i i i forget i forget or i don't i don't know if i know like if this uses technology from uh kcet at the time from kojima's team if is this running on metal gear solid 2's engine
2: it is uh it's it, would, it was K C E J, but yeah they they essentially KCEJ, took, right right yeah. right yes but it is mgs2's engine
3: so that's that's the part that always confused me then because like that that was made in japan right Right. And having a Western studio work with an engine that was coded and commented all out in Japanese, most likely, like how (laughs) how did they actually make this work? That's Um, what baffles me.
2: And they did it in in about a year too. That's Um, that's what
3: I'm unclear on.
2: I don't want to say too much because I've only heard little bits and pieces here and there. You know, it's just conversations I have with people who have had conversations. So, you know, you have to kind of take it, take it uh, with a grain of salt. But from the people I I have talked to who know, again, a little bit more about what was going on with this, uh, it was not easy. Um, It was difficult, but they did have, you know, a fair amount of support. Um, Silicon Knights handled the gameplay and KCEJ handled the cutscenes. So, I mean, it was still sort of a collaborative effort. Silicon Knights didn't do everything.
3: It's just, you know, they had to take this engine that was built for PlayStation 2. which is a very different architecture than the power pc based gamecube they had to convert it to make it work on the gamecube Uh, and fundamentally there's going to be differences in the way that things are just handled between the two machines so they had to get into this engine that wasn't theirs make it work on another platform uh and just i don't know i i'd it's actually kind of, it really made me have a lot of respect for what Silicon Knights achieved because they, that is an insane <laughs> task that they were, that they were given.
2: It's funny. They, there's a precedent for this sort of a, of a, Hey, we're going to, we're just going to shove this onto another team and let them sort of figure it out. Uh, type of situation. Um, with, have you ever played the PC port of MGS one?
3: Oh yeah. The mic. yeah, yeah, yeah the Microsoft <laughs> published one.
2: Yeah. It's kind of a nightmare, right?
3: Yeah, I um, I heard stories about that. That that was that one small company, I uh, really right? Right. Want to get
4: somebody from that team on this show. The last time I played that, uh, DRK called out that on that version. Like I forget if it's you 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 do a light punch on Liquid, and the sound registers is like you hitting a guard. So instead of hearing Liquid go oh, you hear a guard go Hoo.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: And well, like, they didn't have
2: the sound tools. They they weren't given any of the sound tools in time. And like one of the things they had to do to get, I, I'm going to mess this up. And I've got a friend who's probably going to listen to this and be like, you got this detail wrong. But um, one of the things they had to do because they didn't have access to the to the things they needed was they had to um, get the music by pirating it. Yeah. The,
1: um,
3: and yes. and that's why
4: it loops so horribly. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> why so, it's such
3: bad quality. Because- the music on, like I said, on PlayStation was all handled. It was like a audio done by the sound chip, right? Like, they right. were the equivalent. It was basically, you know, the the, the PlayStation sound chip works similarly to the Super NES, right? Where you essentially use a sound
0: bank. Well, no, they recorded stuff off of like rolling samplers and stuff like that, too, though, for that.
3: Sure, but not all of it, right? Yeah. A lot. It's actually like it's sample based where like you feed the samples into the system and then the sound chip is actually the one that's like sequencing the music or you sequence the music and it plays back through the sound chip. That's why older emulators didn't properly emulate that sound chip. And they sounded so flat and lacked reverb and it just didn't sound right. Uh, but the PC couldn't just play those files in that way. Right. So they had to pre, I assume pre-record all the music as like, just like, you know, wave files or whatever format they were using on the PC at the time, and that would be why they don't loop. Because if you're doing via the sound Soundship with sequenced music, you can loop it perfectly without issue. Because it's not like a pre-recorded track.
2: Well, in the in this case, I mean, he he specifically said they were pre-recorded because they had to pirate the music from fan websites since they didn't get everything they needed from Konami. No, what
3: I mean is, like in the game itself, it's not pre-recorded.
2: oh, like, oh, on, oh! I get what when, you mean
3: when playstation when you're playing the game on playstation it's not like it's playing mp3s right right
2: it's it's playing the 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 sequence data like a it's, MIDI. it's
3: data right yeah exactly it's so
2: i follow you now what okay. i
3: mean is that for the pc version they would have no matter what they would have had to find a way to record the music and then play back pre-recorded audio and it sounds like that's exactly what they did but they had to get it from a weird source <laughs>
1: Something really interesting I found out about the PC port recently is, you know how it controls 8-way? Yeah. You don't have full analog. They actually had support for it in the game's code, and it just, I guess they didn't get round to it and didn't didn't actually end up turning it on. But uh, a friend of mine, uh, BMN, recently went into the game because he like handles the the launcher for it he like updated the launcher put the music back in fixed uh, a bunch of other stuff but he also added analog support to the game recently just by reactivating
3: the code that was left in in the game that's super cool actually did did they ever so the the other big thing missing from it that always drove me nuts is that they got rid of all the post-processing effects like they went nuts with like the pseudo motion blur uh in like fake depth of field and they used a lot of that stuff on playstation yeah and the pc version I, and i understand why because direct 3d at the time was kind of a mess so they just couldn't do any of that stuff so it's all missing from pc and i i don't know if it's ever been restored
2: um i know this is kind of off topic but the uh the analog thing yeah um final fantasy 8 had a similar issue with its pc port where the you know the ps1 version had true analog and then the, the when it got ported to pc it just went you know eight directional and then when they i guess there's all sorts of rumors about square losing the source code or whatever i don't know what's true about that but the remaster of final fantasy 8 that came out several years back is very clearly built on the pc version because it's got a lot of the no same doubt. bugs the yep. music issues it's it doesn't have analog support it's just so frustrating <laughs>
3: Yeah, that was a port where on PC they just straight up used MIDI. So, uh, how how it would sound, like MIDI can sound amazing on the yeah, right hardware. You have, the right, but you have to Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have you have to match what it was composed on to that device basically for playback. And if you get anything else it ends up sounding kind of bad and it, that was yeah. the case in that, you know. Cuz Final Fantasy 8 as well on PlayStation that was all sequenced music, so uh except for like the end track and, you know, one right. or two others but most of what happened
2: there.
3: So the thing is though, is like if you look at the PC market during that era, and I was playing a lot of PC games at the time, there wasn't exactly much in the way of choice for like analog stick based game pads. That wasn't really much of a thing at that point.
2: So they just didn't care.
3: No, it's not that they didn't care. It's like they didn't, nobody made analog stick based pads, or if they did, there was like, barely any options for the pc right like the dual shock existed right. on playstation but what were you using on pc
2: well what like, i mean is because there wasn't that um you know those controllers right, because, weren't common they just didn't bec- bother to put the yeah exactly
3: in. I, I think that's the reason is it's a combination uh, of either like because there was no controllers basically or maybe the DirectX version at the time didn't properly like there, there could be any number of reasons but there wasn't a lot of options for that on PC hardware at that time.
2: What do you think the deal is with, um, you know, uh, a, a game like that, you know, when they do the remaster, not, um, you know, basing it on on the PC version? Is it just easier to sort of take the PC version and wrap it? Yeah. Than it yeah, is to sure. go back to the source code and try to, try to uh, kind of mangle that's that?
3: presuming they have the source code and usually they don't. Just and, didn't like, hang
2: on to it from that era?
3: No, like Japanese developers were horrible back then about that, especially like just ditching everything that they hadn't used or what was safe was always in bits and chunks and basically useless. Yeah. Like <clears throat> that would have made things a lot easier. But the PC ports were typically done often by Western studios, I think. Who yeah, that does seem to be the case. Their source yeah. code better, Uh and as like you know, Final Fantasy Seven was what IDOS interact. Oh, right.
2: Yeah, I forgot rumor. about that.
3: So, <laughs> yeah, um, I th- I think they just did a better job at holding on the source code for their ports. KCEJ
2: were one of the rare examples then of, a you know, a team that did actually keep a hold of their source code. They stored everything in CVS and like they had it's. Yeah. We didn't get a lot of this stuff over here in the US, but there are magazine articles and write ups and things about how they would do their development. Um, You know, you, you, these are all in Japanese, but, you know, they've got. Uh, from a show me one time, they had a, a bulletin board system internally where they would, you know, be able to post things and share tools and, and talk about There was like an internal Konami BBS where they would, you know, basically discuss development and share resources and things. And there's some screenshots of it floating around and just like they, they were doing they did a really good job of, of sort of keeping a hold of everything. And, you know, each game they would build on top of the previous engine. There's still MGS one code. uh all the way up into MGS4. Uh, and I yeah. don't mean, you know, the emulator that they were running to get the 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 Shadow uh-huh. Moses segment. I mean like there is still legacy MGS1 code in that game.
3: Yeah, I can I can imagine. Probably not that much use, but maybe for oh, some yeah. very core things. Uh but- yeah, that team was really up until MGS4, which was kind of a technical disaster. Uh all their stuff prior to that was pretty insane. And they did amazing work on the PS2, especially.
2: It's a shame they didn't get to use the the Guy Savage stuff for much, though. That was a that was actually built from a prototype. Uh, yeah. for Zone of the Enders three.
3: The thing about that was, uh, I I feel special to have experienced that naturally before, like knowing of its existence. You know, where yeah, it's like this, same. where. I was playing it back then and I just happened to save in the prison and quit for the day. And then I remember coming back the next day, turning on the PS2 and just like, I, you know, I loaded the save or whatever and I wasn't like paying attention to what was happening. And then I just happened to look at the screen and was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was awesome to actually get you that way.
2: It, it kills me that those parts are kind of lost in the remasters, you know?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I understand why, but yeah, still. it
2: still hurts like the you know, we don't have the uh, the ape, the, the the monkey missions in MGS three, um, you know, presumably for licensing issues. Um, the skateboarding in MGS two and, and Guy Savage and MGS three are both running on different engines, so that sort of makes sense, too. I mean, have you seen the the subsistence camera that was shoved in recently?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's cool.
2: Blew my mind when that guy did that, and he wasn't even part of like the modding community. <laughs> he just showed up one day and was like, "Hey, check out what I'm doing." Um, wow. I do want to get your opinion on this. This is just a little tiny thing, but I've I've been thinking about it for a while, and it's it's sort of a um a guess on my part. But one of the one of the things in MGS three that that Casey talked about, I guess they were Kojima Productions at that point. Um, was that oh, yeah. they were initially building the game on MGS two's engine, but had to rewrite their collision system because of the variable terrain levels. Sure. Um, they were just running into too many, you know, problems. And if you, if you look at how, you know, the IK works in MGS two compared to MGS three, uh, you know, it's, it's very different. MGS two is basically Way made for stairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah two, exactly. two doesn't really have any slopes, you know, it's all no, stairs.
3: No, exactly. I mean, the stairs are, Yeah. It's, yeah. It could almost be considered a slope, but no, it's not. I mean, they, they're treated right. like steps, right? So, yes. Yeah.
2: There are like a couple of very, very gradual slopes, but nothing that would really create it. everything's
3: very sharp angled, which right. only requires like a, you know, I, I can see for the IK stuff that you would want a more gradual, uh, subtle animation changes based on the terrain. Since so it's I, so variable.
2: Exactly. And I've wondered, like, what is it that they encountered with MGS2's engine and variable terrain that would have caused them to go that far? I Um, mean,
3: to be honest, like, I feel like they would have had to re-architect a lot of stuff just to be the nature of the environments. Yeah. Like, each Metal Gear Solid 2 map segment is pretty small, right? And for 3, they expanded them a lot. They're pretty big, and then they had to deal with, like, foliage rendering and, you know, this kind of uneven terrain and just just a lot more to consider there. I think
2: the twin snakes is kind of the smoking gun. For for yeah. what they were running into, because there are a lot of areas in twin snakes that have yeah, sort of right. heavy slopes and like right right on the heliport near the beginning. Yeah, there's yeah, this right. embankment. And if you go up and down it the right way, snakes legs completely freak out.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually an interesting point because you're right if if it was limited in that way and they knew it the designers would not have made level geometry that would break things on the original mgs2 right but clearly with twin snakes you know development being what it was on that i'm not surprised that they would run into more issues there
2: there is um there's a video um i don't know if it's something you guys would ever want to remaster i'm sure you've got a a laundry list of things you guys are you know already want to do but there's a video that shows sort of the early version of MGS three running on MGS 2s engine. Have you seen this uh, thing?
3: Yeah, I think I've seen that from a long time ago. I haven't seen it for years though. Yeah. It's like, but it's I got Pliskin
2: this. in a, in a forest and like, yeah, you can tell it's MGS two.
3: Yeah. That really early stuff. Yeah. Man. Wow. It's That's been a long time since then, but Yeah.
2: How'd you get into Metal Gear? I'll just ask that.
3: How did I get into Metal Gear? Yeah. Uh, it was. Let's see here. I borrowed a copy of Metal Gear Solid from a friend of mine. I traded him my uh, a copy of Duke Nukem 3D for the PC, which he had not played yet. And that was it. Like I, I had not actually paid attention to the series prior to that. I had not played it on NES was literally metal gear solid and you know at that point i was anticipating the release of dreamcast in the west so i initially was turning my nose up at some 3d playstation games <laughs> you know kind of being a snob there but then i played that and i was just like okay this wow <laughs> i had no i was completely floored by what they were doing especially on that hardware at the time it really right, pulled they me were just in. they were was on it. a whole like, different level yeah that that was it like just that single initial playthrough and i was completely sold by it like okay this yeah i love this game
2: did you ever mess with any of the um when you did get a dreamcast did you ever mess with any of like the Bleamcast stuff
3: oh yeah oh yeah that stuff is is so weird man yeah we talked to randy about oh i haven't done this i haven't put up on the public channel the video chat where we had with randy about uh bleemcast uh but that 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 dude he just straight up reversed engineered that all that PlayStation stuff without any access to official documentation or anything. He was literally just like testing the behavior of the machine and then trying to simulate everything. It came out. That's so wild. It's uh, that dude is like, yeah, he's, he's a programming God. I would say there's, there's not many people that can just pull that stuff up like that. But yeah, the Dreamcast version is interesting. I think at the time, you know, everybody with doing PlayStation emulation was still focused on, well, we'll just increase the resolution, right? Yeah. I I maintain that's a bad idea. Uh, It can look okay if you're doing, you know, like Duck Station has options to make it look decent. Like the PGXP stuff. But by default, just blowing up a PlayStation game because it's still like the mathematical precision is still running at that low res. Like you just right. see all the polygons, like not smoothly moving between pixels, like virtual pixels. And it just looks awful. And that bling cast version was missing post-processing effects uh, as well. It didn't simulate that stuff. Well, um, the, the accumulation blur, that's what it was missing.
2: It's funny. You say that, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to emulate MGS3 but it suffers from from issues related to cranking up the the resolution. Um there there are all these I mean MGS2 has a, has a two a little bit but really it's it's really bad in MGS3. Um but in in PCSX2 if you if you crank up the res um there are all of these I'm probably going to mess up the the terminology here so feel free to correct me on any of it but I'll try and describe it as best as I can, but all, all of the effects that they did, like the, the PS2 didn't have shaders, you know, it lacked for a no. lot of uh, visual effects that that Kojima Productions sort of had to fake in their games. Like, like the way they did motion blur was by like ghosting the models and things like that.
3: Um, well, OK, so I mean, that, that was an interesting time for motion blur and like just having that sort of accumulation blur at the time with mm-hmm. that. That was still pretty new, actually. And even in the PC space, that was just starting to happen. Like, we didn't see, like, the per-pixel motion blur, really, until, like, 2005.
2: Oh, wow. That far Like,
3: Trackmania Sunrise, I think, was one of the first games to ever do that on the PC. But, like, per-pixel motion blur was really expensive. That's why we didn't see it, really, until the Xbox 360 era. Like Xbox 360 had a bunch of launch games with it. Like Project Gotham 3 used it right away, and it's like, whoa, this is amazing. But you didn't really see that on older consoles. Like Xbox games, they also used accumulation blur. Oh wow, I didn't know motion blur. Like that—that's just how it was done back then.
2: I I know another thing. PS, I don't want to get too off track, but uh, with with the PS2, if I remember right, um, they didn't have bump mapping either. Um, Uh, except for like one game or something, like one or two games. That's
3: a bit of a simplistic way to look at it. Like, um, yeah, you
2: know more about this than I do. So
3: (laughs) you're right though. Like the thing about PS2 and this is the, this is what I both love about it. And I can understand why some developers are frustrated with it is that it was just like this, like an empty, I don't know, like a canvas. Right. And you could do just about anything on there that you could imagine for the time. Uh, if you were creative enough with your solutions, like I know somebody that actually developed a full on like unique texture compression system just for their game completely in software and, you know, games that were, was that like a commercial game or? Yeah. Yeah. It shipped. Whoa. But, um, uh, the thing about this is like, what made it interesting is that pulling off these effects and the types of things that you could do. The PS2 had like super high fill rate. And like really fast memory bandwidth for the time. So like you could do these multi-pass effects and like all kinds of crazy stuff that in a very now completely atypical way, like they and that allowed them to do some some stuff that was just different looking from like any sort of other hardware at the time.
2: Yeah, it's very Game,
3: distinct. Ga- GameCube has this too, by the way. GameCube's TEV has its own unique features. And so GameCube Xbox and PS2 games can all look super different. Uh, If you really push what they can do to the limit. That sort of
2: explains a lot. Because
3: there is sort of a PS2
2: distinct style, you know, that a lot of games have. But it's hard to to put
3: words to. Well, so some of the things that define the PS2 look, I would say. And some of these are just dev choices in the end. But uh, most PS2 games did not use flicker filters. So you would get a very raw... pixel image on your screen people called it the jaggies back then a lot yeah (laughs) i actually i actually think it looks better now like i don't like flicker filtering i i turned it off on gamecube via swiss uh because on a good monitor it looks like razor sharp that way but ps2 games have a slightly flicker more flickery sharper look uh they usually don't use mip maps because mip mapping had its own limitations on that hardware and so in the end though that actually means that while it does create a more noisy sort of distance rendering it also makes the textures sort feel perceptually like sharper at a distance like if you look at Dreamcast Xbox and the like if you as the tech at oblique angles all the texture surfaces just sort of turn to mush because of the mip mapping either bilinear on Dreamcast or trilinear on Xbox it's just overkill so, which you know at the time it was it was designed to reduce texture aliasing and it works it's just it it really blurs the textures in a way that i don't like that much it doesn't it hasn't held up well
2: okay so Uh, that then explains why it didn't what okay i understand what you what you meant now about it being a a simplistic answer so it's i mean yes technically the ps2 didn't have support for bump mapping but that's because like you said it's sort of that blank canvas where people have to sort of write their own effects
3: like you could simulate some of that stuff it's just if you want to do bump mapping and it's just a lot of Passes, right? So it required processing time. Yeah, it did have it. That's right. And a lot of other crazy stuff, actually. That's a good looking Uh, game. (laughs) You know, like Xbox had some very specific, it was the first generation of Pixel Shader was on Xbox with the GeForce 3 derived GPU. Ooh. So that was like the beginning of shaders right there. I'd say Xbox was like the first, basically, one of the first ever to support those features like that that by shaders it's basically like you can write like write little bits of code to run on the gpu right and that's basically all it is but that just allowed artists to do some crazy stuff at the time and it was really fresh and new for a lot of the differences
2: between these systems visually now it's it's starting to make sense right
3: so the thing is though is because they're also different if you made a game on xbox and you went really heavy on lots of pixel shader effects and you tried to port it over to ps2 It was going to look really different. That's why there were all these
2: weird differences. Oh, man. But
3: if you made it, you know, the way Metal Gear Solid 2 was programmed, a lot of the choices they made, like, for instance, on PS2, they mostly relied on palletized textures similar to PS1. It was even common on PC on 3DFX Voodoo cards where, you know, you have a monochrome texture. It's like an 8-bit texture that's just monochrome. And then you assign a palette to it. Uh, The benefit, though, is that with the palettes you could assign, you could get these really smooth color gradients. So Metal Gear Solid 2 uses like crazy. and That's how it got all those like really smooth gray and like, you know, bluish hues that with a really smooth gradient. Whereas on Xbox, they would use RGB colors or RGB textures. So the colors baked into the texture. But because of how it was stored with the texture compression, uh, it introduced a lot of banding, right? Because the color Mm. was baked into the compressed texture now. Whereas on PS2, none of that color was there in the actual data file. That was added after the fact via a palette. And trying to simulate that on Xbox, it just didn't work very well. Right? So
2: God. That sort of um, dovetails back into what I was going to say about MGS3 with um, sort of the different effects that they had. Uh, again I'm probably going to use the words wrong but MGS3 sort of has this haziness to it it's like a, it's almost like a bloom of sorts you know right Um, and it's one of the effects that when you crank up the resolution in that game it just falls apart um,
3: yeah because it's so that gets in like a lot of PS2 games it's essentially kind of like a render target where they're like rendering something to another buffer and then overlaying that back into the scene that's how you got like soft shadows in Silent Hill 2 I think where it was like rendering out these like stencil like shadows. Yeah. Uh to another buffer. And then they could actually apply like a, a blur to them, like a Gaussian blur that would then uh make them look nice and soft and then they layer it back in.
2: Fingers, Apache days, y'all getting all this? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so sometimes so sometimes I just
1: I just, I just listen. Sometimes I just listen.
3: Oh
4: uh, I'm I'm trying but, to see yeah go ahead.
3: Go ahead. No, please. I've just been sitting here talking like crazy. No, yeah, just, mean, I'm eating this up. So <laughs> it,
4: it it makes me think about, you know, the actual style of those titles. Um, and it makes me like it, it prompts a few questions that are like total non sequiturs. Um, but just I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm not I'm not trying to act like I know what you're, you guys are talking about. But it's it certainly makes me think of things. One thing I think of in particular is. I find a lot you mentioned Silent Hill and sorry for going off topic completely, but you mentioned Silent Hill 2 and 3 style, how it's sort of timeless. um, Yeah, you know, based off that technology, I realized that, you know, this game doesn't have nearly as many limitations as those two titles. But I I think about like how the texturing worked and in Silent Hill 3 with particular like skin tones and things like that. And I see that in the final fantasy seven remake. And I'm not saying that, you know, the process is the same, but I just, I haven't that whole, like that, that type of detail and skin texture. I haven't seen in final fantasy remake. I haven't seen since silent Hill three. And that's,
3: that's interesting. You mentioned that because so the way PS two typically because of you know memory limitations and things at the time most most surfaces just use like one texture like the diffuse texture you know it's like you just layer on like this is a basically a picture of of something like a brick or skin or something modern games use like so many different passes on a single texture you know you get your diffuse layer you've got your you know uh normal map all this different Textures that are all layered on top of each other to create those effects. His so skin simulation requires all these different layers, basically. Whereas in Hill Three, it's literally just like one texture. It's just like just the raw art, right? Layered yeah. on there, right? It's just and it's so just, well
2: detailed. It, it's like, like super
3: they? great art, artist-driven work. Like it's just, yeah.
2: It's funny. MGS two had the the layered skin textures at least for a couple of characters yeah it was more for like it had it added for
4: fat man didn't it at the very yeah. least and that's why that's fat why man. fat man is, fuck, is black <laughs> yeah,
2: if you emulate it wrong if you don't have the blend uh turned up right it's a him and ocelot and uh, i think vamp
3: too they, they 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 did probably add texture specifically for that but what i mean is today when you look if you look at the date texture data on a model you'll have the the diffuse texture, which is just like the main color texture where it like sets like the detail of the thing, right? And then you could have like a specular map and specular then adds like the shiny bits, right? It makes it look shiny. Uh, and then you could add in like a normal map, which is like basically a texture that has... Uh, have you ever seen this textures where it's like this weird purplish... It's hard to explain, but it's yeah. basically designed to add sort of detail where there's not... It's simulated depth basically right and so you're you're actually just layering all these different things onto a model now whereas you couldn't really do that many layers i mean that's bump mapping is just adding a different layer on top really and changing that man it's it's complex stuff to just talk off the top of my head there but (laughs) ps2 ps2 basically just uses diffuse maps which is just that main texture color there was some other ways to do it but that was yeah
2: it's just those games look so amazing even today and again maybe i'm i'm biased and old but i don't know they just the the artistry of some of those old games you know konami in particular were just masters at texture work back then you know I, I, silent hill 3 looks like a an early ps3 game for crying out loud
3: uh, I don't know. See, I would actually say the opposite because early PS3 games went, they were like, oh, now we can do normal maps on everything. And they look kind of awful. Yeah. You know, where everything is like, we got specular layer, we got shininess. Everything looks like it's made out of like melted plastic. That's Yeah, wet, God. Right? Like that that was the look they were going for because they suddenly could. They just didn't use it well. And this was before the rise of physically based materials, right? Which yeah. were like grounded in real life properties. Like back then it was just like, Stacking all these layers on to make it look good, I guess. Yeah, and, and but it, and photo it doesn't bashing
2: as much as you could to get it to look as as. So I actually think yeah. that
3: there's early PS3 era stuff, the early 360 stuff. A lot of that has aged really badly, as a result of just like using these new techniques with reckless abandon. Man, so yeah. yeah PS2, PS2 era is really interesting. They they had such a low texture memory budget. They could really use, you know, they couldn't do all these fancy tricks. They just had to rely on like pure art design and like simple vertex lighting. And sometimes they would use vertex painting to color to add some color to it. It's just yeah. It's very simple by today's standards, but artists could sure do some magic with it.
2: That's like Days was saying, art from adversity. I mean, you know, vertex lighting too is one of those things that just sort of has a charm to it. Uh I you know, I still think back to the um that that scene in the in the tanker in MGS2 where you've got the 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 USP and it's dark and you can shine the flashlight around the room.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: back then that was like whoa. Like that blew my mind. And now we just take lighting for granted and we've got ray tracing and
3: Yeah, I, that was so, you know, Xbox supported per pixel light operations whereas PS2 was all per vertex. Right. So that was like you know, Jamess looked,
2: flashlight in Silent Hill 2 was, was all blocky and jagged.
3: And that's just because it was literally lighting up all the vertices. Right. Right. And that's just kind of... Which means if you had like, a really, really complex scene mesh, it could look a lot better. But a lot of time what they would do, like, later games, like I think Siren did this, where they would, like, do a per-vertex light, like a typical light on PS2, but then they layered in this transparent flashlight cone texture. That sort of like concealed where it was like revealing the vertices, so oh, it did actually they? looked looked kind of like a per pixel flashlight, even though it wasn't.
2: Oh, I gotta I go and go, look at
3: that. Ghost Hunter did something really crazy with its flashlight as well. Uh, actually, yeah, I haven't seen that in a while, but you should look at Ghost Hunter. Ghost, let me let me make a note of that. That was uh, Siren
2: is one of those games too that that just looks um. You know, that's one of those PS2 games that just looks amazing for, for when it was made. Um, you know, yeah, and, and maybe it's it's so uncanny with how especially they especially
3: is. Oof, I love it.
2: Oh, yeah. And and the way they, they sort of took real faces and mapped them onto the to the models, you know, gives it this really unique, uncanny look. And
3: like, just... yeah, it's like it's like doing um, L.A. Noir. Yeah. Um, many years <laughs> early. Not as good as that. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing
2: or like yeah i mean just when when i think of the ps2 and like the best looking games on that system i'm thinking of you know obviously like metal gear and silent hill but also like siren haunting ground uh final fantasy 12 you yeah, know they all yeah, yeah. So, they all sort of share a similar vibe i don't know how to how to explain it they're doing a lot of similar things
3: yeah yeah it's it's a cool it's a cool aesthetic I think that aesthetic has aged really well in a lot of ways, but I will say I'm not a huge fan of emulating that era because just running, rendering it in high res kind of, it's like peeking below, you know, the curtain or behind the curtain Yeah, kind of reveals all the tricks they use. Cause now you can see everything. So uh, in too much detail, right. Playing these on us on a good CRT is like the way it's okay yeah. to experience any, I'm not saying any, you know, People can enjoy it however they want. Just if you really want to see it the way it's meant to look, you need to do it that way. I feel
2: the way I, I've gotten around that um, because I, I would love to get a, a proper CRT. I haven't had one in ages and and like, I'd love to get like a PVM or something, but I can't, you, you know, I don't have don't a million to, dollars.
3: You, you don't need to get a PVM. Just get it. I want to get a PVM.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. It's not.
3: If you get a good consumer set, like get a nice Sony or a JVC or something, it's going to look awesome.
2: I really want Guaranteed. to when it's, I when it's... I've got the room for it, I will um, in the meantime, what I've done to sort of get around that with emulating, you know, PS2 games or, or games of that generation um, is obviously, you know, keep it at the keep it at the native resolution. But then like I've got I've got what is it called? Reshade. Uh, I've got that oh, yeah. sort of latched on to PCS 2 and I'm and somebody ported uh, CRT Royale over. And that, lo- I'll show you some pictures later. That looks pretty darn good. Obviously not the same as the real thing, but uh, about as close as you can get.
3: Yeah, so in my GoldenEye video, I talked about the, the magic of downsampling, and that's actually a really good way to go about it, where you render a game at like a really high resolution, but then you drop it back down to the equivalent of like the original res, So like 320 by 240 for like a PlayStation or N64 game. So you get these really clean aliasing free edges on everything that looks amazing, but it's still presented at the original pixel resolution. And that works because if you think back to like, you know, a pre-rendered CGI sequence at 320 by 240, it doesn't have jaggies or bad edges, right? It has a pixel structure, but it looks super clean. That's effectively what you're doing.
2: Because the CRT is sort of obscuring that
3: uh no I, what i mean is if you can do this on on an emulator
2: oh oh i get what I'm you mean saying. okay i i'm sorry i kind
3: of rather than just rendering in high res me. you you like render it like 4k internally but then you downsample it back to 320 by 240
2: i've got to try and that
3: if you do that i guarantee like, check out the examples in my golden eye video uh you'll be surprised at how much of a difference it makes yeah i saw that earlier it look it looks great it's awesome
2: I want to ask you about GoldenEye 2 real quick, though. If you if you look in the live chat channel, there are those uh, the reshade. Uh, screenshots, oh, cool,
3: cool, excellent, excellent.
2: You can sort of see how it's it's it softens it. I'm sure I mean, I'm sure you've seen stuff like this a million times, but, you know, oh, I I, sure. I know very little and I got it to look this good. And I was like, ah, this is great. Hey, you know, all good. <laughs> um. So what do you make of the whole I mean, I'm sure you, the, the video just came out, so I don't want to steer people away from the video because I think everyone should watch it. I'm going to after after we finish up here. But like, what
3: the hell with GoldenEye? (laughs) Uh, I think just, you know, some weird decisions made on the emulator side.
2: I laughed my butt off, man. When you were you quoted Xbox on Twitter where they're like, you can play it with an Xbox controller for the first time. (laughs) We're like a second time.
3: (laughs) yeah that's um that yeah that's that one that's I don't want to
2: get you in trouble or anything
3: no I mean i I meant I talk about that version in this and I captured it on a real 360 so
2: oh you got it to run uh, on the on the actual hardware then yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I played it through uh Xenia and uh, that I was think, a lot of fun I, th-
3: I think most people did but I actually have a modded 360 that I installed it on and I connected that up Via VGA to my widescreen CRT monitor, oh man, so at the native res, and it just looks perfect and, I bet, I and it I plays could, well. I wish too, I could right? share this with everyone. Ah, so
2: it's where just, so do you think there's potential to get that version?
3: Nope, working nope, with never, multiplayer,
2: nope. never.
3: Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were going to say, Is there any potential of this getting released officially? And I'm just, Oh, like, no, 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 god, no, I know they're uh, maybe there could be. I mean. Like the, the way online multiplayer works on Switch, for instance, is literally just like it's emulator level, not game level. The yeah. game has no, no idea what's happening. Uh, when you start up a four-player like... multiplayer match, it just starts up and yeah. it doesn't even know that you don't have controllers turned on. It just thinks they're all plugged in.
2: I see what you mean then.
3: Which, by the way, is a huge pain in the butt. Like if you start it up on Switch and you do four-player split screen, you're like, oh, shoot, I wanted to do something else. You. To quit a GoldenEye match, everybody has to press start and quit the game, right? But if you don't have four controllers connected, you won't be able to press start on those screens. So you can hit quit on your screen, but then you're just stuck Hmm. unless you have four controllers. So you'd have to reset the whole game, basically. That sucks. So it just, it presumes that you got, if you're going to select four players, you better have four controllers connected. Otherwise, no go.
2: I played the Switch version a little bit and I just like. I, I, we were saying before the show, just just spitballing a little bit about GoldenEye. Um, you know, the N64 controller was, the analog stick was not the most precise thing
3: in the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's. I take issue, I take issue with that, man. Because. Uh, let in me fact, just say this. It in was fact, easier it's the control- opposite. It's Is the it really? Opposite. It doesn't the N64, feel like it. The N64's analog stick has an insane amount of range to it. Modern sticks have actually taken a huge step back. In terms I stand of that. corrected then. So then why, why is it so much easier to control?
4: It, is that where that like negative press shit comes from for Super Mario 64 running?
3: Yeah. Like the, the Super Mario 64. If you just look at just his like granularity, there's that word again of movement. Like you can, like, it's so sensitive. You can do these little tiny movements on that stick because it has this t- teeny tiny dead zone and it's just like a huge range of motion. That's a there's a big throw on it. So I found.
2: Is that why it's so much easier to control GoldenEye uh, on an N64 controller than it is now through the Switch? Well, so it's a nightmare. Pro- I can barely move anything, and I don't remember it being this hard. Well,
3: there's two things. First of all, on Switch, the initial con- I, I show in the video how to f- somewhat fix it, but uh, the problem is that the controller mapping is like bonkers. Like they didn't do any custom work for it. They're just like, well, here you go. So it just has these default buttons where, like, the the two sticks are kind of like the right stick simulates the C buttons, but the default control scheme is weird for that. The fire button is mapped to like ZL. Like it just it's all nonsense. You can kind of fix it, but the, Ew, the st- ZL for fire. That's yeah, yuck. that's the default.
2: Uh, you yeah. watch the video. <laughs>
3: You actually have to go to the sys- Switch system level controller options and remap buttons to fix this, by serious? the way. you serious? You
4: know what? You know what, y'all? I'll just stick to the Final Fantasy Fiat Rhythm demo. That seems... Mm-hmm. Uh, just,
3: I, I approve.
0: That's, download that's the Project
2: way. 64.
0: I guess ZL makes sense, though, because that would be like the equivalent to like the Z button. Yeah, the but Z button. Just, yeah, ergonomically, that's just weird.
3: So Nintendo just uses a default mapping for some reason when they could have easily customized it. Yeah, so... The Xbox version, though, controls very well. They did a good job mapping the controls over. Uh, to get... It's, you know, I, I try to say it all in the video, but it's not that either version is actually bad. They just made some choices that make sure that it's nowhere near as good as it could be.
2: That's annoying.
3: Right. And it's it, it feels like they didn't fully understand... <sighs> I don't want to say I can hear the frustration. It's frustrating because I feel like with just just a few tweaks, like the Xbox version, especially they're just a few tweaks away from something that's really spectacular. It's just they made some weird decisions that I'm I'm confounded by. But yeah,
2: I mean, this is kind of an ongoing problem with with ports of old games in a lot of ways, and it's why emulation has has just taken off the way it
3: has. yeah i mean fundamentally that's why i mentioned downsampling because i I just don't think that a lot of these old 3d games they don't when you just raise the resolution it's not always a good idea it doesn't the art doesn't look correct it's not the way it was meant to be seen it's not how the artists designed it it just reveals all the flaws in a way like especially with something like goldeneye where it's very simple like on a real n64 it's concealed enough in a way that makes it all kind of cohesive but played at 4k it's just kind of this like low polygon blurry mess of like very simple uh, geometry
2: i mean in your opinion why are why do developers seem to always take this approach to their older games where it's just sort of for lack of a better word half I, i i wouldn't
3: i wouldn't use developers to describe everyone because i think some do do it correctly yeah we uh, were
2: i mean that's our last episode with uh with Stephen frost from from uh digital eclipse um you know the work they've done on the Kalibunga collection and atari 50
3: so they they did great work on that most of it's 2d though but 3d stuff it's it's very delicate how you have to tackle it and there's different approaches one approach that i do think does actually work well is what night dive usually does uh but they're usually working from pc focused games or if they're console games, they the choices they make ensure that they look good in high res, basically. Mm. And like one example in the GoldenEye video, they for for Doom sixty four Night Dive actually simulated the way N sixty four does texture filtering, because the art was designed that way. Whereas the GoldenEye emulation doesn't do that, so it makes textures look incorrect.
2: Though if I remember right, right didn't they do a lot of uh, like AI upscaling for Blade Runner?
3: Ah, uh, see, Blade Blade Runner is the one night dive release that's pretty bad. Like everything else they've put out is amazing, but Blade Runner turned out pretty bad, and I think there was some circumstances beyond their usual control that gotcha. kind of hurt that project. Like it's not bad per se, but it has a lot of glitches, and it just doesn't look that 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 one. I would say is disappointing, uh, and I think they realize that now. I mean, I think they knew <laughs> it at the time. It just, it, yeah.
2: <laughs> what sort of what is your opinion though on like using ai upscaling machine learning that kind of thing to to, to upscale you know textures and i know you you guys have done your own work with when this. done well
3: it can be awesome yeah 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 it it can be really good i think you have to use it carefully and um you can't just like do like a mass upscale and hope that things turn out great i don't know yeah that's but the, the thing is is like a lot of like modding the modding community has done better work than right. companies on this front right like the, they're really taking the time to do this stuff super well and it's like blows my mind there uh, was um and,
2: square did this with i think saga frontier just recently didn't they yeah
3: that's pretty i don't know how that it's amazing that that even got re-released <laughs> i guess kawazu you know he's more up there in the company now so he has his way i Get the, get the saga stuff out there.
2: Is there a good saga game? Because I haven't played one. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: Saga Frontier Two, I like.
2: I haven't played that one.
3: And actually, you know, when talking about that series, I don't really think you can say good or bad. They they just are. Yeah. I, and if you if you can get your brain into the right space to actually try to understand what he's trying to do there. I think there's good stuff in there. It's just ridiculously complicated and like it's made for a very specific type of person, namely Kawazu himself. Like I think he makes the things (laughs) that he likes. And I think that's cool. I think it's cool that he made all those games, even though they're like almost, not for anybody. I kind of uh,
2: liked unlimited saga. It was, see, that's, that's weird. probably the hardest
3: one to get into though. That that one is like complete nonsense. I think but. it's
2: the extreme of it that made me like it. Cause it's like, Oh, you yeah. liked all these, you know, what, what did you think about all these creature comforts in final fantasy X? Well, we're going to take all of those away and make the utter antithesis of that game.
3: So, you know, the thing about unlimited saga that always makes me laugh as I only learned when I moved to Europe, actually. So, SquareSoft at the time didn't have a big presence in Europe. During the PlayStation era, they had some releases, but compared to like North American, especially Japan, like barely any of their games came out on PlayStation. So then they did this big push for Final Fantasy X, and it was a huge success on PlayStation Two. And from what I've heard, they wanted they they wanted to follow up with another their next game and give it a similar push it's like wow europeans like square stuff actually we should we should put big money behind this it's just that they chose to do it with unlimited saga so unlimited saga Gosh, has this big man. deluxe release and it was like advertised and big marketing budget and i'm like that that's the game you guys went with next and of course it didn't do that well
2: would you believe but i got paid five dollars to take that game true story
3: i do believe that i
2: I wanted um, I liked the box art for the Japanese version, and I saw that this was a long time ago, but Play Asia had a copy of it for sale for like, I think it was either five or ten dollars with free shipping. It was the, the import copy. And I was like, I'm just going to get that because it looks neat. And so I bought it. And when it came, I got a voucher for Play Asia that was five dollars more than what I paid. <laughs> Excellent. So I was like they paid me to take this game sweet
0: all right john uh if you wanted to plug where people can find you on social media
3: and find all the stuff that you do at digital Foundry, you can go ahead with that and we'll go ahead sure. and wrap. uh wow thank you guys for having me on for this because it was just complete all over the place but very fun so hopefully people enjoyed listening to it as well yeah <laughs> but you could you can find me of course over on digital foundry youtube.com slash digital slash digital foundry and i am on twitter at dark one x uh and i post there and all all my stuff shows up all over the place we also have a patreon at digitalfoundry.net with a great community over on discord that is fun to come and hang out with including the df retro tier which is my personal tier that i got to make so you know please subscribe to that come say hello please no <laughs> but yeah that's it awesome man thank you
2: so much and thank you for putting up with my inane nonstop rambling this has been an absolute blast
0: this was the wildest podcast ever. yeah thanks for coming on john we, we really appreciate it
3: <laughs> thank you uh i wish you know i'm sorry I, I feel like we we kind of hogged the uh the the airwaves here but you know,
0: oh no! This was a conversation made for you two guys, so just really cool. <laughs>
3: it's totally cool.
0: good. All right. If,
1: if, if, I,
3: if I, I don't need to interject
1: when you know when Nitro's going full steam and we're getting answers to his burning questions, I don't mind just listening.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: All right. All right. Cool. And uh, I'll shoot you a DM and
2: I'll, I'll send over some of that stuff I mentioned. That sounds wonderful.